This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Here's the thing about Christmas music. Welcome back to the podcast, by the way. The thing about Christmas music is I realize I know all the lyrics. All of them. It's because it's been played so much in your house. It doesn't, it's probably it, on it, repeat by it now. Doesn't it doesn't matter. Not? I am at the time of year, Merry Christmas, everyone, where I am waking up in the morning with a Christmas song already going through my head, and we haven't even turned on music yet. You're not kidding, are you? I'm really not. I know all the lyrics. I know this because I can't get them out of my brain. This is our second to last That's, podcast uh, before our holiday break. We hope you have a wonderful holiday break. We will have one more kind of wrap up for the year. But I'm just thinking about Christmas because I can't help but do so because <laughs> it's a lot of jingle, jingle, jingle in my, <laughs> oh my house. Gosh. Yep. Uh huh. The best word that I've ever heard for describing that condition. Mm. And we try to do this to each other, not with Christmas music songs, although that would be really awful and rude to do that on a shoot in like March All bad, or yes. July or yes. any time of the year, really, is retunerating, retunerating. Mm-hmm. The song is retunerating throughout your head, and I don't really have a better word, but somebody told we, me about that word. We looked it up at one point, and it, it is, that is the concept, yes. We try to do this with other songs, you know, something's going through your head. I can pull out songs that Todd will just give me this look, mm-hmm. icy we stare but, like you but it, didn't it becomes a whole thing that song on any shoot where somebody yeah. comes up with the most annoying thing that everybody else had forgotten about but you know everyone knows the words so the minute you sing a, a stanza it'll be on everybody's brains the rest of the day but then you can get rid of that song by introducing another song <laughs> that different fits one, the yes. same stupid category oh, and yes. you will hate mm-hmm. them with the same fiery, this, like, why did you do that to me? We will not do this to you on the podcast. We hope you're enjoying your own personal Christmas music. And uh, this is our second last podcast for the calendar year. We'll be back at the beginning. Actually, what is that? Like the 2nd of January. 2nd we'll of January, 2024. Yep. 24. 24. It's craziness. We have all kinds of stuff already planned for 25 years since we were going to party like it's 1999. I, exactly. <laughs> See? Wow. See what I did with that song? Nicely done. I, I, just, I have to admit, that was really good. <laughs> Later in the podcast, we're going to rickroll you. <laughs> Not yet. You know, sorry, while we're there, <laughs> my son is like two generations away from when that song was popular. Yeah. And they know Rick Roll. They do? They do it to each other. What? Yes. This is a thing. It's a thing. Wow. It's a thing to the point that it's such he a meme. He did it to me one time and I couldn't, that's right. It's such a meme. I had to go backwards in time and show him the original. It was like, if you're going to Rick Roll people, let's at least go back and like hear the song originally and watch the stupid music video so that you understand how this started. So it's not just a meme in your life. <laughs> back when MTV was actually music videos. Apparently, yeah. Right. Yeah. A couple of more podcasts. We got to wrap up the year on next episode about mm-hmm. uh, some fun stuff that we've had. I was scrolling through photos on my phone and we have had quite a, a monster year. year yeah we were just there in germany and belgium six months ago mm-hmm. i say just because so much has happened since then but feels like ages ago and i'm going it was going only six months year. yeah we're going back next year we got dates coming soon actually just for many of you that have actually written to us thank you for your interest there are there will be a pilgrimage trip next year dates are forthcoming mm-hmm. but the thing yeah. you have to know behind the scenes is we want to place the pilgrimage trip first and then figure out where the two domestic trips go. So we unfortunately, we're waiting right, track right. dates to lock down pilgrimage, and then we'll put the other ones in. We're very excited about all the adventures next year as well. 
Well, the Prius is gone, but we've got a track piece landing in January 2024 as well. <laughs> you thought it was gone. It is gone. It's out of our lives. Mm-hmm. It has gone away on a flatbed trailer back yep. to Texas. Yep. Thank you, Toyota, for sending us a Prius. We've really enjoyed it. And we've got this track piece coming out because we told you we benchmarked it against the GR86 yep. that we used to own. Yep. That is owned now by a private owner in Salt Lake, but he mm-hmm. gave it to us generously to use on track again. And so we benchmarked the two cars. We took a Prius <laughs> to the track. Still confound my neighbors. And you'll see us wearing race helmets in a Prius. And actually driving it quickly. I mean, it's not just like we drove around with race helmets on in a parking lot. We actually like went on track. Although that's also fun. That, That could be fun. Yes, but that's not what we did. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armor All, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor All, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you're cleaning your car after a summer of hard driving, be sure to wash in a cool, shady spot and use Griot's Garage Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer with Snow Foam. You can also connect the Boss Foam Cannon to your pressure washer and use foaming surface wash and polygloss. Griot's has also just introduced the Cordless Foaming Sprayer. You can create a high foam blizzard with little to no work and avoid wash-induced scratches, which is the safest way to wash your ride. Now, if you need to get bugs off the front of your car, try the bug and smudge remover right before you wash. Or if you've been tracking your car, track spray removes rubber streaks that always happen. The rubber smears and tire chunks come off really easy as soon as you use the track spray. Griot's offers wash and detail kits, which make it easy to get the right products together. Whether you just are doing a starter kit, it's your first time using Griot's, or you're breaking out a foam cannon and you're adding to your collection, Griot's has the right kit for you. Griot's garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquids are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, please note there's a new code. Use DRIVER10 for 10% off everything on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Speaking of fun, Tom writes to us asking for the definition of fun. And you Mm. might recall in years past, we have decided on the definition of a sports car. Which is the car that you shouldn't own. Well, this is the thing about Topic Tuesdays. No matter what we decide, we could keep debating it. All of you could keep debating it. This is the fun of it, for sure. Tom says one of the most interesting things that he found out about this Price of Fun video that we just recently released was our discussion about what Todd and I considered fun. Mm -hmm. Mostly with the Lotus, some of the things that, Todd, you love about it, how raw it is and how rough it is dissuaded me a bit from it Mm -hmm. because it bounces around too much for my taste. Well, it's not that it bounces around. You have to have optimal driving conditions at all times to enjoy it. (laughs) You can never escape the fact that it's a fire hose. (laughs) Always. Tom spent four years designing seats and optimizing them for comfort at two different OEMs. One of the most difficult things about that job was defining comfort. Mm. And he feels like this is similar with the word fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So the topic is part of defining fun and recommending fun, considering what your target audience finds fun. Well, yes, we definitely take into consideration what we know our target audience to look for. Tom gives us an example. When designing the C8 Corvette competition seat, Tom has seen GT1 and GT2 seats in the Corvettes on the show. Both of which were excellent, by the way. Yeah. You wouldn't get either of those seats and be like, these aren't any good because they're very good. But they are good. Yeah. He says the assumption was made that the bigger, older people will not be buying this seat option. Mm. It was designed specifically for the comfort of smaller drivers who will just track the car. Okay. 
Tom feels like it's similar for designing and even recommending fun cars, because what's fun for one kind of driver might very well be terrible for another. Mm, you're right. And I'm going to start with food, Tom, because mm, okay. I think it's been in a Vegas buffet or a hotel breakfast where I have heard Todd say, Mmm, that looks like a sugary mound of fun. What's that? <laughs> Sounds like something <laughs> the child in me would say in you're Vegas. Coming yes. down, you're not quite awake yet. Uh-huh. Oh, sugary mound of fun there. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a child. <laughs> anyway, yes. It looks like fun. It smells like fun. Mm. But will you regret eating it later? Mm-hmm. Now, the stats of a car sound fun. Will it still be fun after a month or a year of ownership? And that's why we suggest projecting yourself once you've driven a car, you've experienced it, you think you want it, project down the road a month from now. Will, will there be some remorse? A year from now, will you still love that car? Will you still be having fun? Will the maintenance costs be outweighed by the desire to drive it? They have mm-hmm. to be outweighed mm-hmm. by that desire. Otherwise, the maintenance adds up. You start to get a little upset you don't have a good relationship with your car, Mm -hmm, then you mm -hmm. curse at it while you're driving it, and then it delivers maybe a corner or two, and you go, oh, that's right, that's why I bought this thing, and then you think, "Ah, I'm so done with this car. (laughs) Now, Tom, most EVs, as you know, which are generally SUVs, well, now trucks, they sound fun, and they initially feel fun with their straight-line acceleration. But are you quickly going to become bored? Even a Taycan or an e-tron GT sounds really cool, but right now there isn't the personality in either of those cars that pushes me personally Mm. to Mm. want one. Okay. So what do you value most? Is it a car that makes you shake your head in astonishment for pulling laughter out of you? That was one of my metrics, certainly in the price of fun. Or is it astonishment that a car can accelerate so quickly or corner so hard? I mean, fun and the sliding scale of driver improvement. That is the headline here, because Mm, as you get to be a better driver and understand tire patch management and weight distribution, your threshold will increase. I maintain what was fun to you five or 10 years ago might not qualify now. Well, and I think that's true just in our hobbies too. forget cars for a second. The, The hobby that you would like to spend all your time and money on when you're 25 will probably not be your hobby when you're 50. Maybe. Maybe. But what what I'm specifically speaking to here is actually your athletic hobby. At 25 will probably not be your athletic hobby at 50. There are exceptions to every rule, but I'm just saying that that we change as people. I heard somebody say at one point that every seven years you are a fundamentally different person than you were before. There was a study done at one point, and that was the that was the calculation. There was somebody else that we actually are in a, in a group, uh, kind of a coffee club discussion group here with a bunch of guys in Park City, and there was one guy there that said he believed, he'd done this is why he said it, he believed that adult men should change careers every decade. And he was like 70, and he'd done it. Hmm. Okay, so Interesting. I, my point I'm making here is huh. we, we seem to have this impression that as we become adults, we are now fused. Now, many things are, but there's still like, as you age and as your life changes and things around you go on, this is one of the reasons why when you're 18 and 20, you would like the loudest possible exhaust. And when you're right. 60, you probably don't want it. And the truth is it probably is going to bother you less at 60 because you can't hear as well because you had that huge exhaust when you were 18. Yes. But you don't want it anymore. It's too much. <laughs> True. Although skiing is one of those things that you can do pretty much your whole life. There's not True, a lot yeah. of athletic things that you can do. I mean, running, swimming, there are a few. But you and I have realized early on that driving cars 
is something you can pretty much do your whole life. Mm-hmm. You're 16 with your driver's license and you look at race car drivers. They're very young. But then there's race car drivers that are middle-aged. And you know what? There's race car drivers like Paul Newman that race until all the way through their 60s mm-hmm. into their 70s, mm-hmm. well into their 70s. That still happens. And they're still on track. And you know what? They're still fast and they're still competitive. One of my all-time favorite, all-time favorite Grand Tour or Top Gear pieces, and I'm pretty sure it's Grand Tour, is James May gets in a GT2 RS when it was brand new with a Porsche factory racing driver. Mm. And I'm forgetting the old mm. man's name, the, the, the old driver's name, and I'm sorry about that, but the driver that originally drove the 917 oh, that's right. car that's right. in his 70s Climbs into the 917, and they have a race to see if the GT2 RS can pass him in the old 917 Le Mans car. And what I love about it is he's at least in his 70s when he does it. James and the and the Porsche who racing driver that? are. I, I'm sorry, if I, I know who you're talking. James about, and yeah. the racing driver are full helmets, you know, four point harnesses, etc. This guy is wearing a four point harness and a British flat cap, <laughs> and he is right. throwing down. If you've never seen that piece, it is one of the most amazing pieces of not only driving, but also just the agelessness you can have in your life. Especially when it comes to driving. Yes. Yeah, I do remember that. Not only does your driving skill improve, which makes you seek different levels of fun, Mm -hmm. I suppose the thresholds are higher. When you're seeking that corner and you're wanting the car to perform, you're able to extract more out of it, but your fun threshold is higher because you are able to extract more you're not having quite as much fun as your your seven-year-old, you know, seven years ago self was able to do. Because driving, you can continue learning. You can continue growing in your skill your whole life. Mm. You can continually get better. And that's how I look at my own driving career. It's one long arc. It's just, I'm constantly getting better. Every time we drive, whatever we're doing, canyon, track, mm-hmm. I want to constantly get better. I liken all of us our driving experience, you can just continually look at getting better and gaining more experience. But that just means my demands for fun out of that car are going to be higher. It's Dickie Atwood, Richard Atwood, that was a Lamar winning driver in the 917. He is an, it, the older guy in the 917, and he's against James May in the GT2 RS. And it is, look for it. It's off Grand Tour. Fantastic piece of television. What uh, series was that? Or what uh, season? Sorry. Uh, Grand Tour. Let me figure it out. Um, I don't know the season. It was right around uh, 2019. So you can figure it out from there. Yeah. Wasn't he at least in his seventies, if not pushing 80? Yeah. That's, that was what was so great about it is it's just like, you know, <laughs> what is your measurement for, for, uh, for what you can do? Okay. He was born in 1940 and he did this in almost 2020. 40, he would So there been, you go. Yeah. He's essentially 80. Yeah. Almost 80. Holy cow. <laughs> oh yeah, it's gosh. a fantastic piece of driving. Well, the, the thing that Tom is actually talking about here, we've gone all over the map on this, Tom, and I love it, and thank you. That's what makes it a Topic Tuesday. Yes, fun is absolutely subjective, and fun is also related to how are you using a car and what is your life. Mm-hmm. And I have said it many times, and I'll say it yet again, if I still lived in Los Angeles and I commuted on the 405, would I own a lease? Probably not. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it, mm-hmm. as you've yeah. all seen. And I also think, do you live in the wilds of Nebraska, which we've driven through at high speed because there's no reason not to, okay? <laughs> there was recently a comment. Actually, I loved this That's comment. That's true. Dustin on YouTube actually made a comment where he said, I love this. He said, made this comment on Price of Fun. He said he generally uh, disagrees with us on what makes a car fun. 
because he is a V8 muscle car straight line guy until we pry it from his cold, dead hands. And I appreciate that, Dustin. I appreciate that you said that because the second part of your comment was what you like about what we talk about is the fact that driving a car is paramount. Mm-hmm. And he completely resonates with that. And the point I'm making here is clearly Dustin's life experience, the kind of cars he's had in the places that he's driven, that V8 muscle car power is perfect. Yeah. But I like the mountains. I like mountain roads. I want to be able to take this car, this corner faster than I thought. I want to brake less than I expected. That means I need a small, light, very much handling car. I don't need a 1,000-horsepower monster V12 with an extra turbocharger because I need to get all that speed back down. Mm-hmm. But that's how yeah. I enjoy it. And also, it's that, it's that same thing about you know what I enjoy on skiing is tree skiing which is not very fast, but it's very agile uh-huh. and it's very solitude. I, I love that feel of it, uh-huh, okay? Uh-huh. I'm not a guy, I used to be, but I'm not a guy that wants to do figure 11s from the top of the run. I used to be that person, but I'm not. Now I want to just do tree skiing, which kind of feels like mountain driving to me. Interesting, and yeah. You can mountain bike across the country on old rail trails. And while a part of me goes, that's intriguing. Another part of me goes, let's take a car. Because if I'm on a mountain bike, <laughs> yeah. I want to go up a really cool windy trail that's difficult up through the winding up through the trees and then winding back down. I like corners is what I'm realizing here in life. It's not about speed. It's about the agility and changing of direction. That flows through all of the sports that I like and even driving. But if you're a let me make you laugh by the roller coaster takeoff, then the kind of cars I like won't be fun to you. Very true. And I, this is not a shot against people who like straight line acceleration and drag racing, but is it a bummer when another car comes out that has a number that is mm-hmm. lower than the one you've experienced or it's, it's less, so it must be better and therefore more fun. Mm. Does it get under your skin? I'm, I'm simply asking because <laughs> the stuff that you and I like are not measured by numbers. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's a fair point. But back to Tom's point, I think manufacturers have a struggle here. Because they have to simultaneously build their intended customer, which is always very funny, the mood boards and the intended customer and the surveys and all the kind of madness. But there's also a level of dice roll. And I'm going to give you two cars that we put against each other that I can absolutely see who the person it's for. We put them together, the GR86 Mm -hmm. and the Z car. Yeah. Yeah. And when we talked about that, you know that the discussion on many places of the GR86 when you drive it, know the discussion was, yeah, but we can't have that. It'll make the price too high. Or the people buying this won't care about that. You know that happened on the GR86 because it's not a luxurious car. It's not a car with a lot of sound deadening. It's not a car that you could objectively call, what a nice place to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's fantastic to drive if that's what you care about. Now move over to the Z car. The problem you and I mostly, by the way, spoiler alert, had with that car is the fact that it felt too soft to take on a back road and have fun with. However... If it's costing 55 grand and up, and it is, sadly, then you know the person buying it probably is buying it to commute in it. And so the fact that it's soft is a benefit, and they want nicer seats, and it needs to be heated and cooled and better sound deadening, and all of these materials are nice, and wow, this is a really nice place to be in a way that the 86 can't pull off. Now, not only are they different price points, but I think they're different buyers, and the manufacturers have to worry about this. Back to Tom saying the competition seats are not for big people. Okay. Okay. All right. This is a big consideration on every single possible car decision, especially when you get into performance cars, because as we talked last time, there was that question about, are all of the reviews of the Amira just excusing the car? And I tried to make the point, they're 
refining and defining who the buyer is because the buyer isn't whoever likes sports cars. That's a real mm-hmm. dice roll for a manufacturer. And to be honest, as much as I like the Elise, I can't believe it ever was introduced in the 90s. I can't believe any manufacturer ever decided to do that. And then it survived <laughs> for true. 25 years. It is a, such a counter car. It is such a, well, if everything else doesn't work, come over here to Lotus. Although the 90s were that era where neither you or I wore helmets while skiing. True. It has changed. And nowadays, if you see somebody, a snowboarder or a skier, not wearing a helmet, you're like, wow, daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) Does he not see? Is he not aware? Do you not see the labels? I'm wondering about fun as defined by car companies with their buyer Mm. and tying Mm. into why a lot of car companies don't like their products compared because their Uh. definition of fun is different than another company's definition of fun, Mm. but they're going Mm. after the same dollars and defining the customer slightly differently. Mm. That's the GR86 versus Z. Well, yeah, the Z is really better at GT car stuff. Sure. It is empirically better on a long road trip than the GR86. Sure. Yeah. I I want to be in the Z. Mm Mm-hmm. But when the road turns twisty, I will take that GR86. Absolutely. But they don't like that. And a lot of manufacturers, as you go up in price, Mm -hmm. they don't really like their products compared to each other because the amount of buyers, they're competing for all those buyers. They're competing for the same dollars. And they want, okay, so what's your definition of fun this year in your life? Mm. Or now at this point in your driving skill, Mm -hmm. you want to step up, you, you become a really great driver. We're appealing to those kind of people come look at our new selection of products. Or if it's not that, and it's just, you know what? You just want a driver's focused car that you can just, it's scrappy. You can drift, you can track, you can Mm -hmm, beat mm -hmm. it on, beat on it. You can modify it. How about a GR86? It's trying to appeal to something different in every single one of us enthusiasts Mm -hmm. and where we're at in our driving career, our skill level and our interest level. This is one of the things we talk about like crazy. Watch our 2,000-mile South Dakota road trip piece, which we're really, really proud of. Great family viewing over the holidays, by the way. You don't have – sorry, side note. You don't have to be a car person to like that piece. That is one of the films we have made, honestly, that I have shown to my non-car friends. A lot of times, if, if, if my friends ask what we've done, I'll be like, okay, I'll show you a minute or two of this. This is what we've done. Right, or I'll show right. them a picture. Right. You know what I mean? Because they're not car people. But the South Dakota piece is the one where I'm like, you're not a car person? Just watch this because you'll enjoy it. So it is that. But one of the things we talk about a lot in that piece is because it is the Lotus and the C8. On yeah. paper, it's the same kind of car. Let's make... The, the description a, is, yeah, yes. Let's make a mid-engine, low-nose, two-seat, dedicated sports car. The top comes off. It's yes. a Targa. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then they go wildly divergent. Uh-huh. And we talk about that like crazy on that piece because you're actually having fun when the road isn't fun. And yeah. I am yeah. waiting until the road gets fun. Right. This is a lot of the conversation. Right. And, and, I, and I also thought about the fact, we, we touched on this last time a little bit too, as cars get more expensive, they have to be nicer. It's yeah. harder because yeah. of the clientele that you're relying on to bring so many dollars that clientele will complain if it's not nice enough. And I was sitting here trying to think about, and I can't come up with one. What is a very expensive car that is also very simple? And I think I've come up with one. Okay. The BAC Mono. And it's justified. Because the whole point is I gave you something focused and simple because in general, we're not allowed to get away with it. But even the BAC Mono, it's all about... The, the quality of the construction and all about the precision of feel. 
but it's very simple. It, like fundamentally, there's no niceties. It's not what it's about. But even that is presented as a luxury item done simply. And those are quarter mil. I suppose you could apply the same thing to a caterum or to an aerial atom. But they're not nearly that expensive. They're not close to that. They're 60-ish. Yeah. 60, 80, somewhere in there. If, yeah, if you load one out. I mean, right. you can get those cheap. It's difficult to find an expensive, simple car because the audience won't stand up for it. That explains the comments I heard years ago, and, and I've mentioned this before. I overheard two people looking at a Ferrari on the show stand at a car show. Mm. One muttered to the other, yeah, the Mercedes is nicer inside than the Ferrari. <laughs> I would hope so. And I'm thinking, well, right. <laughs> You've missed the point completely. But if car manufacturers do that now, you're right. Every journalist would also eviscerate it because... Look, you're paying a whole lot more money and getting a whole lot less. We mm. already do that with Porsches and we do a whole bunch everything. of others. We do it with everything. Like, yeah. oh, you paid more and got less. <laughs> Why would you pay money mm -hmm. for this car? Mm -hmm. The benefits are only discovered once you're searching for your fun. Mm -hmm. That's the only time it can be, be discovered. And the rest of the time, does this apply to, uh, to trucks? Like off-roaders. I, I mean, they're already inherently leather and luxury and See, that that's, kind of thing. See, that's the thing. Let's go to the Raptor for a second. The Ford F-150 Raptor is not a bare-bones interior. No. Now, you would think, based on the build sheet and what it does, well, this would be the one that is going to be hose out. No, no. Still very nice. I know plenty of people in Park City and in Los Angeles that daily a Raptor. Daily it. it. it, it a lot around here. In Absolutely. What's funny is the first, the first snow happens here and the, and the Raptor population doubles. Yeah. It's like it just snowed yesterday <laughs> and the roads are dry. Right. What is your problem? Anyway, and, but, and they're probably driving around on two-wheel drive with mud tires. Separate thing. But the, the reality here is even the things that are supposed to be hardcore are also required to be nice because you want to part people from their money and they don't equate generally that something should be focused and not be luxurious. And very often, those two things are in direct conflict, which is why I come back to the Lotus. It's very focused. As a result, it's not luxurious. The Wrangler 392, Rubicon 392 uh -huh. that we drove is a yeah. $100,000 Jeep Wrangler. Uh -huh. Are you kidding me? Yes. hundred grand. Mm -hmm. And all the comments are something along the lines of, there's no way I would pay that kind of money. And it's like every other Jeep Wrangler on the inside. Mm -hmm. There's really no difference. It's, it's really the same. Seats. It's really the same as a fifty thousand dollar base Rubicon, and it's twice yes. the money. It is also more than twice the power, but it's twice the money. Watch our our test drive of it. We laugh a lot. We marvel at it a lot. And I actually yeah. said on camera that just sheer initial impression, it feels like the engine every Wrangler should have. True. But true. then when rock crawling it. I realize I could do everything I'm doing in the exact same seats and pretty much the same feel with the little four-cylinder. Hmm. You could. Everything we did with it could have been accomplished by With the possible exception of sheer straight line speed on the highway, which was essentially like rocket propelling a brick. Yeah, and it was terrifying. <laughs> it was fun. It was also like, why is this happening? Yeah. I mean, with the soft suspension, you think, did we reconnect the sway bar up front? <laughs> I hope Too we reconnect now. Will it reconnect at 85? <laughs> <laughs> the fun revealed itself, but I still can't justify a hundred grand for that thing. But it was really a lot of fun. Yes. Noise, noise yes. will always be a part of the equation. Noise in is my a great opinion. point. Yeah. But still it had so much power. It made easy work of everything we asked mm -hmm. it to do. And it was some significant rock crawling. Yes. And also there, 
you didn't see some of the significant passing we did when back on freeways, which there's just no reason for a big truck like that to accelerate that way. It seems counter to what you would get it for, but yet if you're spending that kind of money, you want that, and that's the laugh. Mm. So there, that's even fun. The 392 uh, Wrangler Rubicon on a freeway passing an 18-wheeler is the same kind of fun as a Prius on a racetrack. And my point is, it's not what you think it was built for, and that makes Mm. it fun. I'm just wondering if future fun will be defined by want. There's cars Mm. that come out and you just want it. Mm -hmm. You cannot put your finger on it. You cannot explain it. The Raptor R came out. It's just better. I want it. (laughs) It has an extra R on the end. It has an R, Mm -hmm. a bigger price tag and more stuff on it. And there's other four by fours that will pretty much do what that can do. (laughs) But I just want it. There's going to be a lot of sports cars. And I think manufacturers have now obligated themselves Mm, to to continue to produce cars of desire. And they're going to have to balance the amenities with what do we want out of our sports car? It just has to be fun to drive. Mm. It has to be so good on a canyon road or a racetrack that I just have to have it. That is the only Mm. reason and justification for sales. So want plus fun equals dollars. Yeah. Is, the, that, is that new math? There, well, there are many people in the product planning departments of these car companies that are thinking about this equation, and it is constantly changing, but these are the pieces. <laughs> As typical, this is a topic Tuesday that has no real answer, but Tom, we love that you brought it up, so thank you for bringing it to us. Yes, and by the way, there's no Christmas music in our South Dakota piece, so good news. That's you can true. Watch you it can, over Christmas you if can you escape. want to break from Christmas music. <laughs> It has zero. <laughs> Guys, just an hour. Just an hour. Let's take a trip together. No Christmas music. Let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ahmed is in Pacific Northwest writing to us for a reward. Mm. It's time for a fun car. Love it. He's a new listener. Thank you for writing, Ahmed. He's planning to pay off all of his student loans by the end of the year, which wow. has taken a lot of sacrifice because he's dedicated the majority of his salary to doing so over the past couple of years. He thinks it's time for a little reward. Love it. Love it. Ahmed grew up in Michigan, has always loved cars, but couldn't afford a fun car. His first and only fun car was a Dodge Challenger. See what that that mm-hmm. kind of fun means? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. He leased for a couple of years. It was fun and economical, and the lease payment was cheap, 200 bucks a month for 18,000 miles. That was a years. great deal. $200 a month for 18,000 miles a year for two years. That is it. That, there were incentives going on there. Anyway, onward. Wow. When the lease was over, he moved to a city, didn't need a car. His main method of commuting was biking and using public transit. So he turned in the car and bought a Dodge Dart for grocery hauling and such. So you went to your local Dodge dealer when you turned back in the Challenger, went, what have you got that will solve this? And the Dart had just come out. Where the best thing about that car was, remember the commercials? The commercials suggested it was going to be an enthusiast find in the marketplace. Those crafty We brought in the accountants, we kicked out the accountants, we brought in the people that decided (laughs) that the car was, remember that commercial? It was just about, we made fun. No, you did not. Dodge Dart. (laughs) Ahmed now lives in a Pacific Northwest suburb with a young child in a rear-facing car seat. His family has a 2020 Lincoln Aviator as the family car. Mm -hmm. His wife mainly drives that. Ahmed drives the 2016 Dart. Mm. It's his commuter. 
It's not very comfortable. He's got a 30 <laughs> to 45 minute commute to work. So he, he does his nicest possible job after loving on that challenger to tell us how much he hates the Dodge Dart without ever using the words, I hate the Dodge Dart. <laughs> but it is paid for. It's paid for. Both vehicles are yes. paid off. Yes. Which is huge. The car that he's always wanted is a BMW 2 Series. That M235i xDrive is relatively mm. affordable now with 2016 models on sale for about 25 to 30 grand in his area. A family member has one, he writes, and he's had a ton of fun driving it. Ahmed has driven it a few times. Ahmed's wife is supportive of him treating himself for something new, but also wants him to buy something that they can use with a car seat as well, since he does the daycare drop-off and pickup. Okay. As Ahmed sees it, he can get the two series and a second daily driver or keep the Dart as the daily, although he doesn't want to. The Dart needs to go. Let's let the Dart go. I agree. Yeah, anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. He can get a good all-around car at this point. So what are some, some good all-around fun cars in the price point that he suggested? Bonus if it's a plug-in hybrid that will allow him to drive either partially or all of his commute on electric mode. His commute is about 13 miles each way. He can charge at work. So would you get the two series or get a second car and a good all-arounder that's practical, fun when he wants it to be? And then a curveball comes at us. He likes the Audi RS5 Sportback. That is none of the things we talked about, but all right, we're coming back. Mm. Got it. Okay. I mean, yep. see what marketing people did. They mm-hmm. they put the word sport in there and whenever you use the word sport, that must mean more fun. But it also looks great. He said, based on looks and reviews, he's fascinated by it. He hasn't driven it. This is the death knell sentence, Ahmed, for, mainly for your wife. I'm sorry that she said this. For your budget? She, she admitted it is out of their price range, but she thinks he should stretch and just go for it. Ooh. So your price point of 25 to 30K, knowing this podcast, probably will not stay at that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, Ahmed, is a luxury brand important to you or is the driving experience more important to you? Yeah, I wondered that as well. Yeah. Because you're looking at that RS5 and those are not 25 to 30 grand. No, he knows that. But yeah, they're yeah they're higher. What about an RS3? I mean, we're if we're spending Audi kind of money, that's a what great about point. No, 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 that's a great point. I like that a lot. That would be a a very nice combination, and I don't mm-hmm. think they've dipped that far. As a matter of fact, I think that would probably double your budget. Probably, but I don't know how. I mean, how far is the RS5 down? It can't be. I mean, it's got to be at least fifty percent or more above what his budget's going to be anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I like the RS3. The RS5 is cool. The Sportback is cool, but I've always looked at. The latest generations of Audi as a German Lexus. Okay. They're fast. They're sporty-ish. Mm, they're mm. insulating. They're not really a standout in handling. They're good. They've got that German solidity, and it's it's nice. And you drive one, you think, this is nice. Mm-hmm. What else is <laughs> It's fast. Is, it's capable, but I don't know how exciting it is. Mm-hmm. Now, the RS3 is very good. RS3 and the RS5 theoretically that, might make make be enough. But you're also, I, I want to put it in perspective here. Your experience has been Dodge Challenger, Dodge True. Dart, True. and yeah. 2 Series BMW, which 2 Series BMW is fundamentally very good. The Challenger, depending upon your engine and setup, could be very good as well. But we are talking about a limited amount of experience. And Ahmed, I want to say something to you real quickly that I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure about based on your email. You said that you have the Lincoln Aviator as the family car. So if the three of you are going somewhere, you're taking that. You've made that clear. Right. He's got you the daycare pickup. A though. commute car with daycare pickup and drop off. But that means it's just two of you, you and your little one. Uh, Yeah. You can take that two series and you can slide the passenger seat forward. And I bet you, you can put a rear facing child seat in the back if you don't have to have a passenger and you don't. Yeah, so you're for the two series. My, my point here is two plus twos, why not? 
Yeah, the two series sure. actually yeah. has a surprising amount of rear seat space. And what you're saying, what you're suggesting here, Ahmed, is that there's no way the two series could work as a daily. And I'm saying, why not? Oh, absolutely, I think it because will. you can put that passenger seat forward and a rear. Fa- now, I will look. I'll admit it'll be difficult. It's not a minivan. You can't slide the whole side open and mm-hmm. suddenly get into the rear-facing child seat. It's, it's going to no be Model X. It's, it's exactly. It's going to be harder to put your little one in that seat. But keep in mind, also that situation keeps changing over the next three years, five years. Those seats are going to get smaller and smaller. They're going to turn forward. All kinds of stuff's going to mm-hmm. happen. But even using the monster trash can with missiles child seat that is rear-facing, mm-hmm. you push the, ba- the passenger seat forward, and it's going to fit. Only you can tell us if you're willing to put up with that sliding the seat thing. Mm-hmm. You can, but you said it's a daily occurrence. If you can't and you're looking for a four-door, I've got Elantra N on my list, Civic SI. If we're going to talk Civic SI for 25 to 30 grand, you've got to look at the Acura Integra, the new one. Sure. Yeah, okay. Not the Type S, mm-hmm. just straight yeah, up Acura yeah, yeah. Integra. Volkswagen Golf R, but if we're talking Golf R, let's go back and look at the RS3. I still think that's good. But that is a good one for him. I do see that. Not in the price range. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a problem. I was mulling that 440i. It wasn't really a standout necessarily. Well, it's a it bump just, up from his price, and you add Beaver Teeth. <clears throat> it was Beaver Teeth, and you yeah. added a lot of expense. And I can't say that you'd get a lot more feeling and fun feeling than you would in a two series or an M2. Well, the two series is going to be more fun because it's smaller, if nothing else. Yeah. Yes, a prior generation M2. Mm-hmm. Go find something sure. that is 50, 45 to 50, mm. and get yourself an M2. Now we're talking, now I think that car could justify being two plus two. Well, I got to keep sliding the seat. What a hassle, but I'm rocking an M2. True. I mean, you may, if, if you can find the two series in your budget that's not the M2, you may be able to justify it because you stayed in the budget. But you're right. If you're going to go special, you're going to blow the budget, then the M2 does feel worth it. I do take that point. I mean, the, the difficulty here is actually your PHEV request because generally that means SUVs. And at this point, also generally, that doesn't mean fun cars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I think about PHEV fun cars, the one that springs to mind is the Prius Prime, which we've had fun with, but I would not describe it as a fun car. Okay? Sure. Sure. You could go second gen Chevy Volt, also an excellent PHEV, but I would not define it as a fun car. I'll give you another curveball BMW i3. Those are well within your budget. You get the nicest one in the country yeah. for your budget. In fact, you could have money left over there. Okay, you can yeah. make that a daily. I don't know that that's very fun though. Yeah, good daily. I like your Civic Si, Paul. In fact, brand new Civic Si is in his money, I and that is like that that, that yeah. is much more space than you're going to get in the RS3. It's a yes. shocking amount of rear seat space. You can get it in a manual. It is an incredibly fun chassis. No matter how you drive that, you're going to like that car. It gets good gas mileage, better gas mileage, I bet, than the Dart, much better than the Challenger you've had, and definitely better than a 2 Series if you got it. Huge back seats, really nice to, to work with, good seats to sit in. That I think the Honda Civic Si might be your car, full stop. Mm. But I have a couple others. Alpha Julia, please go drive it. If you're gonna if you're gonna look at four seaters with four doors, at least go drive a used Alpha Julia with the base engine, mm. because mm. I I wonder if that is going to remind you a little bit of the Challenger because you got you know some some Dodge related roots there. Alpha and Dodge have got they've got they've got connectivity now. <laughs> 
but it is a much I have more disease called dodge roots. <laughs> what sort of ointment do I? Anyway. Oh, that's come back, hasn't it? Anyway, but but it's also just got a very unique look and fantastic handling that's going to surpass anything you've driven. In fact, I would possibly even argue you're going to find it more agile than the two series. Maybe depends on how you drive and how you drive it. But the Julie is an incredible amount of fun, and it's rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. You said you looked at that X235, the X-Drive one. So I'm wondering if all-wheel drive is a thing. You can get the Alpha Julia in that. So I'm going to say my top two for you are Alpha Julia used, the base one, or the Honda Civic Si brand-new manual transmission. That is a fun dad car. Those are really good. I'm trying to make the Accord Hybrid and the Camry HEV, the current ninth-gen Camry Sure. Uh, yep. Work in my mind, and I, I can't. Every test drive we do, there's some component of fun that we're searching for mm-hmm. in the test drive. Yeah. Something that surprises us, something that is sort of like, wow, this actually drives better than we thought it would. Accords and Camrys, what? Mm. And both of those in the, their current form are actually, they're hybrids and they're mm. quite good. They drive surprisingly well. They're just not sports cars. It's mm-hmm. not a. Lexus IS 500. Sure, I get that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. like your Dodge Challenger roots. That would be Dodge Charger roots, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Not really great for commuting, but man, what a great V8. Four-door, you can get sure, the kid in sure, the back. Yeah. Those aren't 30 grand. Those They're not. Like, they're really not. Those aren't yeah. 60 grand either. Right? Well, you know, the one that surprises hybrid-wise is the Volvo products, but they're not 30, 25, 30 grand They're not 25, either. 30 either. You get the big, the big S60, you know, which was really surprising with the one with all the bells and whistles and all the yeah. power, but that's not a $30,000 yeah, car. It's almost even, double that. Even it's used. at least double. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, you've got some great choices. Ahmed, thank you for writing. Really appreciate it. Please let us know what you get in the form of a car conclusion. And when you do, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com is a place to send that along with your car debates and your Topic Tuesdays. As always, thank you guys for great answers and great questions. You always just throw out stuff like your thoughts on other people's questions, which I always think is really funny. (laughs) But you ask us cool questions that we find as well. So thank you for all of that. I'm going to start here with Chris, who's almost got a fighting words question on Facebook, but it's very relevant because we're cutting a track piece right now. His question is essentially, who's faster on track? And here is my very diplomatic, but also very true answer. Okay. What time of the day are you asking? Because if you ask at lunchtime, the answer is Paul. If you ask at the end of the day, we might be equivalent or I might be faster. But here's what happens, and this happens every single time we have a track piece, every single time we go to track. Ring and spa, which we've both done before, it's still true. Paul typically gets up to speed faster than I do. I am just this very meticulous guy where I'm Mm -hmm. starting way under what I know my Mm -hmm, limits are, mm -hmm. and I'm steadily, every lap I'm gaining. But the problem is I start pretty conservatively. You have you do a much better job of jumping in and going fast, you quicker. Think so? Absolutely, absolutely. Anytime I we mean, have, you've, you've looked at time codes. Yes, so. you are always huh. faster earlier in the day than I am, but I am relentless. So what happens you're is you're yes, getting you are. you're getting minimally quicker. You're still getting quicker through the day, but you start a whole lot faster than I do, and I have huge gains over the course of the day. Interesting. Because I'm just meticulously picking away at how can I be faster and I'm a little more comfortable and I'm a little faster. And so what's fascinating is if you look at our fastest laps of the day, they're almost right on top of each other. And what's funny is anytime we play a sim, the same exact thing happens. Yeah. I was going to go back to the inception of Everyday Driver when you and I were spending loads of time on a sim. Sure. Yeah. And you would set down a ghost lap. I'm like, how did you do that? Where's the cheat button? And you're like, well, I just 
did. And you're like, oh, you can take a corner like that. Mm-hmm. And then I did that corner just like you. And like, oh, there's the speed to be found. Mm-hmm. And then I'd put down a lap and you'd be like, what did you do? Uh-huh. The ghost car is out of reach. And then you'd pass it and be like, ha, 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 slowpoke. <laughs> Screwed up that corner. I was like, yep. how are you fast through that corner? And it stems from that because we would each set a benchmark time and then mm-hmm. wonder like, how, how did you do that? Suddenly it was surpassed and you'd be like, I thought I was fast. I am not fast. Well, and what's fascinating is very often whenever we have track opportunities, it, it, it's rare now that we get to ride with the other one. Mm-hmm. And what I find fascinating is anytime we do ride with the other one, whoever's riding passenger, it, it invariably over a couple times in the course of the lap will go, oh, huh. Yeah. Because yeah. we will see something that we're not doing that the other one was doing that clearly is the better choice in that corner. We also have a tendency to, to yeah. have certain kinds of corners that we each seem to figure out naturally better than the other one. So when we ride with the other one, we're always like, oh, really? Interesting. Although I will say your photographic memory ability comes into play in a big way because it takes me a long time to get warmed up to a track, I feel mm. like. Mm. I have to do some laps. And then, oh, that's right. That's that corner. I want to be mid-track here, not all the way on the outside. I need to be mid-track. Keep it middle mm. to set yourself up for the next one. That's your out. But you have the photographic memory going I get my in, reference point quick. And yeah. you're just chipping away at it. You're working your way mm-hmm. up to it. And there have been many times when I think, okay, now I've got it. And you're like, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> it is really interesting Crap. how it depends over the course of the day and a lot of the corners. That's a great question, Chris. Thank you. H2OST44 asks me, what design cues are the key to the Ford Crown Victoria? If Ford were to ever revive the iconic car. Mm. Well, I told you when I worked for Autodesk, I had a friend who was on the engineering and actually, uh, plastics analysis side of the business who called on Ford quite a bit and interfaced with the engineering team at Ford who got a really crucial piece of information. He said they made so many of those crown Vicks, the tooling got sloppy (laughs) and new cars had sloppy tolerances because they just made so many, the tool wore out (laughs) of whatever it was like door hinges, like doors didn't quite align. Things were just misaligned and sloppy on a new (laughs) crown. They made so many taxis and cop cars of those things. The tools wore out to the point where they had to make new tools, which is kind (laughs) of a different car. Yeah. Parts made on the old tools would not fit on the new cars. Bizarre. This is about 20, 25-year-old information. Okay. Ford would offer Dearborn Police Department cop cars for a buck. Because <laughs> that's just good business. Yeah, that's for just, sure. You know, we're in your mm-hmm. hometown. Yep. Take care of the yep. Dearborn Police Department, and here's cop cars for a dollar. Wow. So they would just cycle through, and who knows what happened to those cars. You'll notice there really isn't stylistically anything beautiful or interesting about them. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the recipe. Giant engine. Yep. Carries a lot of people yep. and the back seat is huge mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. either you're a taxi or you're a perp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're either being taken somewhere where because yes. you asked to go or very much against your will. These are the options. You did yeah. not ask to go. Mm-hmm. And an enormous trunk. Yes. Fuel efficiency was not high on the list. True. Nor was handling. I suppose ride comfort. I suppose that, but that was more the grand marquee. That was the... You know, let's leave it as the grand. Or it's pretty much the same car, but it was so- <laughs> the Marauder. How many versions were there? There were many, many, many. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they turned it into a muscle car just because. Well, it's got a solid rear axle. Why let's not? Just let's giant V eight. Mm-hmm. Let's 
make it go faster. You would have to take those elements of the recipe to make whatever the next Crown Vic would, would be like. And I guarantee you that any enthusiast, any car person on the planet wouldn't care what the next Crown Vic would look like. Mm. Unlike the Mach-E. Sure. That's not a real Mustang. Yeah. This is the new Crown Vic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess so. Sure. There it is. If you say so, that's it. <laughs> Carries a lot it's, of people. It's the, it's the one name we don't care about. Nobody we all know cares. we don't care. That's not a Crown Vic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you paint it yellow. Oh, I guess that is a Crown Vic. Okay. That's a Crown Vic. Black well and done. white. Oh, yeah. That, that's a there Crown Vic. It's a cop car. <laughs> that's the only thing you need to keep in mind. But the trunk space has to hold a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. Mitchell on Facebook is saying, what's the best new car alternative for a manual standard Golf now that the only of that being sold in the U.S. are the GTI and the R? Mm. You can't get a Golf manual anymore. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So what is it? Is it the, the Turbo Civic hatch? I think that's an excellent choice. I also think the Mini Cooper is a great one. Get me a Mini Cooper. Thinking about a GTI, good front-wheel drive, manual transmission, kind of basic transportation that has really good dynamics. Mini Cooper. Mm, I like it. Flermet on Instagram asks, with many European brands talking of going all electric, that's relatively soon, do we think they'll keep gas-powered options for the U.S. or North America a bit longer, seeing they're slowing sales? Or will buying a European car in the future mean going EV? Well, according to the articles that we're seeing about BMW... The person in charge is saying the internal combustion engine is still going to be around a while. Mm -hmm. There's still benefits of that, which we like to see. And who knows what's going to happen with fuels? Mm -hmm. Combustion certainly means emissions, but it depends on fuels, of course. That's a, a long discussion. But we like the fact that there's still going to be combustion engines around. I mean, enthusiasts like that, yeah. and they've proven solid for track use. All of the above is the answer for drivetrain options. All of the above. And I think it's going to be all of the above for a long, long time. I agree. Ben is asking on Facebook. He said he just he's had two GTIs back-to-back -back on winter tires in Michigan, and he just bought... A Kia Stinger GT Line all-wheel drive. Sweet. And he is ecstatic. He's been experimenting with the all-wheel drive and all seasons instead of winter tires. He said, other than scolding me for not putting winter tires, any driving suggestions for a rear-wheel drive biased all-wheel drive system in the snow? Uh, he said he just had his first good snowstorm and thoroughly enjoyed donuts in the parking lot. So he's just asking about that. Ben, I'm going to say this to you. Look, there, if you're dealing with snow, there is no better answer than winter tires mm -hmm. for snow. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you're not only dealing with snow. You're dealing with lots of stuff. And, and there's, a, there's a great guy locally here, Jonathan, that, that actually is a British guy that does tire reviews. Mm -hmm. yep. And he's done tons of reviews that show actually all the different variants. And winter tires in snow win full stop. There's no debate. However, if you're dealing with mixed conditions, often the winter, winter tire isn't best but if you're going to have snow to deal with, the problem is all seasons really struggle in snow. So I'm going to tell you that the all-weather tire, which is typically an all-season tire with the triple uh, peak snowflake designation, we have had people come at us and say they don't exist. They very much exist. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> yeah. yep. They are a different designation than just an all-season. Interestingly enough, it is the way all seasons are required to be made overseas. Mm -hmm. But here in the U.S., we have an all-season yes. that does not have a snow rating at all. You can get an all-season, which is technically an all-weather, with a triple-peak snowflake 
rating. We had them on our cars. I drove my 300ZX through a blizzard on those tires and did really, really well. So good, yeah. We've had them on the Prius. I have them now on my wife's Cayenne. So I think an all-weather tire is your better choice because you could run it all year long and actually not worry about it. Yes, you will sacrifice ultimate summer performance and ultimate snow performance, but you walk the line better than an all-season. Quick addendum to that, and as we all think about, as enthusiasts, the tire putting the power to the ground or getting sideways. But really, for winter driving conditions, it's all about braking. Yeah. It, yeah. it really is grip for braking, mm-hmm. not about putting the power down and getting the car moving. It's about getting the car slowed down and stopped yep. without getting out of control, without kicking in the ABS That's system. great. That's very good. A couple of questions from Eli Miller 64 Have we thought about doing a rental car special, like renting the basic cars to the very cool cars, hmm. like from Hertz? And then a second follow-up question is, thoughts on the GT500 Mustang? Do we plan to review it? Or its bigger brother, the GT500H? And yes, you can go on the Hertz website currently and Look at renting the GT500H. It's the prior generation, the last of the last Mm -hmm. of the prior generation Mustang. And you can rent a 950 horsepower supercharged Mustang. There are not enough forms to fill out to make that okay. No. (laughs) 75 miles, the first three miles, and then it's 75 cents a mile after that. And it costs 400 bucks a day. Mm. To do what with? Mm. To do what with? Mm. Excellent. Okay. Hertz's entire headspace about that H, that Mm -hmm. H designation is that, well, if they do something stupid, like go to the track or wreck it, we don't have to ask them because it's just going to show up on the internet. True. We'll know. Yeah. And they're right. Mm -hmm. So 950 horsepower to go do what with? (laughs) The regular GT500 is only like 750, 700 and some. That's, that's not, not even enough. trying. What's going on? Let's screw a bigger supercharger tool. Let's get more out of that thing. Yeah. Let's rent them to people that aren't <laughs> used to driving a car with. What? Oh, no. I don't know that I have a whole lot of interest because other than doing a drag race, what is going to be proven about that car? The fact that A, it's available to rent mm-hmm. and B, it hooks up and it's fast in a straight line. And in many cases, it doesn't hook up. It'll just shred the rear tires. Or Mustang into a group of people. Or Mustang your way into a telephone pole, mm-hmm. into a group of people or something. What is the point? There's a secondary problem here, and that is, um, I hate to say this, but it's very difficult for us to get viewership for cars that are not recent. If a car is not brand new, mm-hmm. then generally, and I hate to say this, I really, I can't even tell you how much I wish this wasn't the case. If a car isn't brand new or currently being sold... That's probably the better way to define it. Then we have to put that older car with something that is brand new and currently being sold to make it relevant enough for enough audience to even click on the video. If we do a collection of older cars, our cars of the past, great example, 928 and 300ZX, these cars have their fans. Yeah, and yeah. thank you for showing up and watching those road trips. And many of you that just like our road trips watched no matter what the cars were. Thank you for that as well. But that whole four film series was brought down a little bit by the fact that there's a whole segment of people that are just like, ah, oh, those are old cars. Yeah. So anything that isn't like yeah. currently available in showrooms is really hard to get people to show up for. And what's crazy is stuff that's been in showroom for a few years already suffers with this. I couldn't do a brand new Supra video right now with the Supra as the star because it's been out too long. Now, Supra with <laughs> yeah. the Nismo, that piece with the Dark Horse is coming, but the Nismo is barely out and the Dark Horse is barely out. So that means we can bring along the 
you can't see the quotes, old Supra and people care again. I can't believe it's true, but it is. Eli, your first question too, doing the all rental car special from basic to the very cool, unless Hertz is paying us, mm. then it's just a Hertz commercial. Look at all the stuff you can rent. Hertz can make their own commercial about all the stuff they, <laughs> that you can rent. But it's a similar problem. Are people going to show up for that? Maybe for the fun stuff. Maybe, yeah. but now... Hertz is paying us and now we'll just be accused. Well, Hertz is just paying you. That's why you said blank because Hertz <laughs> is paying you. And now it's just turned into a commercial for all the stuff you can rent at Hertz. But there's always that influencer versus, you know, you're taking money it's or you're hard. not taking money. It's hard, yeah. We get accused constantly. Well, you took money for that. Actually, no, we didn't. Yeah. We said nice things and we meant it. One of my, sorry, little side note, one of my favorite questions that happens every now and then, and it doesn't only happen to just us, I've heard it happen to other people that make videos about cars, is when somebody will pull me aside and be like, how do you really feel about that car? And I'm like, whatever I said on the video. And in in some cases, when when you and I are driving lots of things, especially test drives where it's a different car every week, it th- that information fills the frontal part of your brain that is the part you use to cram for a test. Yes. And when we're done, it just gets flushed right out of my brain. So when somebody comes up to me a year from now and goes, what do you think of that car? I'm like, I'd have to watch the video. Because I know whatever I felt about it in the video, for that week we had the car, that's sure. how I felt. Which is valid. That's what happened. Yes, absolutely. Guys, thank you for all your questions. There's a few more. We'll get to those uh, in the following podcast. And that'll just be one more for 2023. It's crazy to think about it. It's almost over. That's really nuts. We really appreciate your patronage all year, watching viewer, watching the videos and yeah. sharing them with friends and rewatching them and being on the journeys with us because Agreed. we love road trips. We mm-hmm. love producing them. We love whatever car we're in. I mean that the series with the old cars there, it added this extra layer of intrigue. Like Absolutely. will the cars make it or will yep. they not? Will they Where, break? Who's going to be on the side of the road and for what reason? Yes. <laughs> if it's in a new car, two new cars, well, uh-huh. the cars are just assuming we're going to, we're going to make it. We're going to run. So what's the other point of the road trip? Mm. That's what we're finding out. And we love doing these road trips. So thank you for your viewership. We really appreciate it. Share the podcast too with your car enthusiast friends. Mm-hmm. And thank you for writing us questions. You're keeping our inbox full. We really, really thank you. We're looking forward to 2024. It's almost upon us. Cheers, everyone.